Well, we are right in the middle of a message series called Hope in Exile through the first letter of Peter. And we are in this section of the letter where Peter is addressing the S word. No, not, not that S word. The other S word, the one that we hate with a fiery passion, and that is the word submission. And so uh, two weeks ago, I preached uh, what I thought might be the most unpopular message I've ever preached about Christians uh, submitting to governing authorities and the government and, and kind of how we're called as followers of Jesus to, to view government and interact with the government. And I thought, man, this is going to be like the most unpopular message I've ever preached. And then I looked at the text this week and I thought, nope, this is going to be the most unpopular sermon I have uh, ever preached in my entire life. In fact, if I'm being honest with you, I thought really hard about skipping this and just doing something else because I didn't want to preach this. Uh, but the reality is if we believe that all of God's word is inspired by God, it's given to us for our good and his glory, even the hard stuff, even the stuff that we don't want to hear, then we've got, we've got to dig into all of it, the easy stuff and the hard stuff alike. And so we're going to do that this morning. Um, so just fair warning, uh, this is probably going to tick some of you off, all right? Welcome to New Life Community Church. So this section, again, Peter is, is addressing these suffering Christians who are scattered in the Roman Empire. They're actually in Asia Minor, kind of modern-day Turkey. And he's been explaining to them that God-honoring submission is actually a weapon for good in his kingdom expansion. And so the last two weeks, he's really talked about how Christians are to submit to the government. Last week, Rodney talked about how uh, believers, followers of Jesus, are to submit uh, to their employers, kind of in the workplace. And now, Peter is going to shift into the dynamics of submission in the context of a Christian marriage. In a couple of weeks, he's going to kind of dig in and talk about what submission looks like in the context of a church family. And so, Again, Peter's just in this section of a letter where he's addressing what submission looks like for the believer in all these different areas of our life, right? So government, workplace, home, uh, church. And so he kind of starts big and he goes into more intimate settings. And so in a couple of weeks, we'll actually get into what submission looks like in the church. But we're actually going to park and we're going to spend the next two weeks on marriage because I think it's really, it's that important, especially uh, in a time in our history where almost all of us have been on lockdown. We have been uh, cooped up with family. And the reality is for most of us, we have never in our lives spent more time with our spouses than we have for the last three months. And so I've read articles and I've heard counselors say multiple times that one of the sort of unintended or uh, unknown consequences of this lockdown is likely that we're gonna step out of this at some point in the future and we're gonna have an absolute marriage crisis on our hands as a culture. Look, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Cheryl and I have had a good uh, a couple of old-fashioned drag-out arguments in the last, the last three months. Uh, for the record, she's won all of them. I'm 0-4 on, on all of those. But we have not been immune, really, to the strain that this season can put on the relationship in marriage. And so we're just gonna park here for two weeks. We're gonna dig into what Peter has to say. Next week, we're gonna kind of go back into Ephesians 5 and see what Paul has to say about it as well because it is simply that important. Now listen, if you are single and you're sitting out there thinking, oh God, here's another marriage sermon, something else that doesn't apply to me, let me just encourage you, don't, don't tune out 
uh, quite yet because the reality is if you are single, there's a good chance that at some point in your life you will find yourself married. Uh, and even if God has called you to singleness, uh, most of the people around you are going to be married and you will be better equipped to sort of uh, be a good friend to them and speak into uh, their reality and, and their life. So I think there's actually something for all of us here, um, those of us who are married, those of us who are, are not yet married. So again, this week Peter is going to speak to wives and next week Peter is going to address the husbands. And so, so ladies, if you, if you watch this and you kind of leave this message kind of ticked off, make sure that you tune back in next Sunday and make sure that your husband is watching so that he can be equally offended. And so that's my promise to you. If I offend you this week, I'm gonna do my very best uh, to absolutely tag your husband next week and have him offended as well. And so that's my promise uh, to you ladies this morning. Now, before we dive into the text, let me just say that the S word, uh, this whole concept that we all hate so much, especially as kind of individualistic Americans, this concept of submission is something that applies to every single person. Like, without exception, everybody submits to something, right? So, uh, for instance, if you play sports, you submit to the rules of that game, right? If you're, if you're playing basketball and you decide you're gonna, you don't really want to shoot on that goal, or you're going to shoot on your own goal, or you don't really want to dribble, or you're going to start tackling people, that's not going to go well for you. The only way you can really thrive at playing basketball is to follow the rules of the game. Likewise, if you're a musician, like we just, we just had our, our band up here, if everybody doesn't submit to the musical notes that they're supposed to be playing, it's chaos, right? It would sound horrible. It, wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. Uh, if, you, if you drive, right, you are constantly submitting to traffic laws and stop signs and all of those things. If you're a student, you are submitting to teachers and professors and exams and papers and all of those things. As Christians, we constantly submit ourselves uh, to the will of God and his word and his purposes for our lives. And so, listen, I just say all of that to say, Peter is not singling out women in this text. Submission is something that applies to every single person who has ever walked this planet and who will ever live and walk this planet. So with that in mind, let's get going. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Again, back in 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, and we're gonna kind of uh, unpack the first part of chapter three together this morning. So 1 Peter chapter three, beginning in verse one. Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, right? So when he says be subject, that's your translation say, may say submit to. It's kind of this idea of willingly placing yourself under the leadership of someone else. So he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, some of you heard like the first five words of this passage, and you're already ticked off. And uh, even, even if you're not already ticked off, we can tend to uh, read as modern Christians in 2020, we can read passages like this. And if we're being honest, it can just feel a little backwards, can it? It can just feel like a little bit out of date. And so let me, let me just encourage you, um, if you are already offended, if you're already beginning to tune me out, let me, let me just plead with you, if I could, for just a moment, just to hang in there with me. Just, just hear me out this week and next week, because I think that what you're gonna find in the end is that Peter's actually painting a really beautiful picture of something that's actually really compelling for both men and women in the context of marriage. Now, it's not something that's easy. What Peter's gonna tell us is not something that's easy. It's not something that's politically correct. Frankly, it's not culturally palatable. 
And yet, it's something that I think is absolutely compelling and it paints a beautiful picture of the gospel to the world around us. And frankly, it's a model, it's the model of marriage that will allow a marriage to, to really flourish and thrive in a society where marriage is in a real crisis. And so let me just say, even if you don't agree with what Peter is saying here, can we just, can we just be honest and admit that whatever we're doing in terms of marriage in our culture today isn't working? Can we, can we just be honest enough to admit that? Right? Divorce rates at an all-time high. Married people oftentimes at each other's throats. And I would just guess there are many of you who are tuned in right now in this very moment who would say, yes, that's, that's me, that's my marriage. My, like, it's just, it's just kind of miserable. We're just, we're just two roommates just kind of living under the same roof, maybe raising the same kids. And so, listen, even if you don't love what you hear from Peter today, can we at least consider the possibility that this may be a viable alternative to the train wreck that marriage has become in our culture today? Now, I wanna start our time this morning by telling you what Peter is, is not saying to women in, in this text. I wanna give you three things that biblical submission in the context of marriage is not. And I wanna start with that because I think passages like this one are probably the most uh, maybe misunderstood passages in all of scripture and certainly I think probably the most abused passages in all of scripture. Because here, here's the reality. Most of us tend to hear the word submission and we immediately equate that with inferiority. And so even for me, when I hear that word, kind of the thought that comes into my head, when if someone tells me to submit to somebody else or su submit to authority, I just kind of think, well, that must mean that they're, that they're better than me, than they're, 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 more, they're more talented than I am, they're more intelligent than I am, they're more mature than I am, and they're so awesome, and I, they're way up here, and I'm way down here, and so I, just, I need to just kind of soak up their wisdom because they're so much better than me. And I just want to say to you, that is not at all what Peter is getting at in this text. So quickly, three things that submission in marriage is not. Biblical submission in marriage does not mean that women are to submit to man. That women are, now that may, that may surprise you. Let me, let me explain what, what I mean by that. Peter is not saying that men are superior to women, and so because of that, all females are to submit to all males. That, that is actually a wicked and dangerous teaching, and you will find that nowhere on the pages of Scripture. In fact, on the contrary, I would argue that Christianity is, is the one religion, it's the one worldview that actually elevates the view of women in value, worth, and dignity. See, in the Greco-Roman culture that Peter was writing into and speaking into, you've got to understand, women were essentially seen as property of their husbands, much like livestock. All right, so in this day, whatever religion the husband subscribed to, the wives were just expected to worship his gods. Women had very few rights in this culture, they really had no legal standing. And so men in this culture tended to be very domineering and women were seen as inferior, inferior almost, almost subhuman. And what we'll see Peter say next week to husbands and what we'll see Paul kind of dive into in Ephesians chapter five. And by the way, this whole concept is absolutely revolutionary, particularly in the first century. What we're gonna see them say to men is that men are commanded to love 
serve and lay down their lives for their wives just as Jesus loved, served, and laid down his life for his bride, the church. And so the picture that we see emerge from the pages of Scripture is one in which men and women are equal in value and worth and dignity. Genesis tells us that both genders, both sexes are created in the very image of God. What Peter's going to tell us next week is actually that they're both co-heirs in the kingdom of Jesus. And again, this would have been a revolutionary thought in the first century that that daughters would actually be co-heirs with sons in the kingdom of Jesus. And yet, at the same time, even though we're completely equal, we are given different roles functionally. And so it's, it's the men who are to, to kind of step out and lead spiritually in their families. It's the men who are to, to love their wives and to serve their wives and to care for their wives. And then the wives are to respond in honor and submission to that God-given leadership in the home. And that's when this whole thing called marriage actually begins to take off and flourish. And so again, Peter is not saying that all women should submit to all men. That's actually a wicked idea. This is a command specifically and only in the context of marriage where the husband, again, is commanded to love and serve his bride and in response, his wife willingly chooses to submit to her husband's leadership in the marriage. Now, just to kind of illustrate this idea, if, uh, if my wife were out shopping at the grocery store, let's say she's at Publix one day and, and some guy comes up to her and says, hey, woman, I don't really feel like walking to aisle six. Uh, I want you to go walk to aisle six, grab me a pack of bacon, then I want you to, I want you to walk to aisle 12, give me a pack of a Bud Light, woman, because I'm a man, I'm superior to you, you're a woman, you, you go do this for me, I want you to submit to me. If some dude were to do that to my wife, first of all, if you know my wife, she would probably tell him off, she could tell him where he could go. And the second thing she would do is she would call me, and I would grab my baseball bat, And I would get in the car, and I would drive up there, and in the name of Jesus, I would exposit 1 Peter 3, 1 to this man. And I would tell him, if he ever asks my wife to submit to him again, he will do so from a wheelchair, all right? That's just the way, this is the way it's going to go down, because what Peter is saying here is not that all women should submit to all men. That's, That's an evil idea. He's saying, wives, be subject to the leadership of your husband in the context of marriage. And the reality is, even that has limits, right? Even that has limitations. If a husband asks his wife to do something that's sinful or violates the commands of God, if I were to come to to my wife one day and say, hey, let's let's go buy some drugs, let's get high and go rob a bank so we can fund our, our next vacation or something like that. If a husband asks his wife to do something that's sinful, in that moment, she has the, the really the, the responsibility as she submits to Jesus to not comply with the request of her husband. Of course, in a, in a respectful and honoring way. Her, her duty in that position is to refuse her husband's desires. And so that's the first thing that submission is not. The first thing that biblical submission in marriage is not is not all women submitting to all men. The second thing Peter is not saying here, and this is, a, is number two, is that women are inferior to men. Like we've already kind of touched on this, but Christianity actually elevates the status of women. 
as equal image bearers, as co-heirs in the kingdom of God. In fact, many of the original followers of Jesus were, in fact, women. After the resurrection, who did Jesus appear to first? Actually, it was, it was women. Christian men are commanded, and by the way, the only religion and worldview where the men are commanded to love and serve and give up their lives for their wives. So if you hear nothing else, I, I want you to walk away understanding this, is, this has nothing to do with equality or value or, 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 or anything like that. This, this is about role functionality within the context of marriage. Two equal partners, two different God-given roles to play out in marriage because the reality is God expects the men, we'll get into this more next week, to take the lead spiritually. He expects men to love their wives first, to serve their wives first, to seek reconciliation, to apologize first if there's tension in the marriage, to lead spiritually, to lead out in that way, and he expects wives in response to willingly choose to submit to that leadership in the marriage context. It has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority. In fact, men, if we're, if we're being honest, almost all of us would have to admit that our wives are smarter than we are, and our wives, frankly, are probably better at almost everything, right? Is that, is that true? Uh, I know for, for me it is. Um, I've, I've observed many of your marriages, and so I'd say, yeah, it's probably true for you as well. Uh, my, my wife, Cheryl, uh, was a better athlete than I was, so I, I, I wasn't able to go beyond high school. She had a full ride. Uh, in college, uh, my wife is smarter than me. She made better grades than I did. She took harder classes, harder degree program, and, and still had a higher GPA than I did, even though I, I did graduate with academic honor tassels, and she didn't. And so you, you just ask her about that. Sometimes she's still a little bit bitter about that. The point is, point is she's, she's better in almost every area of life than I am. So submission in marriage cannot be about superiority or talent or intelligence. It's about fulfilling God-given roles so that marriage can function and thrive the way that he's designed it to function and thrive. Do you see what I mean there? Do you see it? That's a, that's a massive, massive difference. Now, the third thing that Peter is not saying about biblical submission in the context of marriage is, is this. Number three, he's not saying that wives are to be doormats. I mean, I think that, that's maybe one of the saddest applications that people who have misinterpreted this passage and others like it have come out on the other side, and the idea has been that wives should just be kind of like these silent doormats that never speak up, and they never challenge their husbands, and there's no give and take, and there's no pushback. And I want you to hear me clearly. That is not what Peter is saying here. Submission is not passivity, and submission is not timidity. I think maybe the best kind of idea or definition that I've heard about submission is that submission is strength under control, right? It's kind of this idea of meekness. So strength under control. It's not passive, it's actually active. So wives, Peter is not saying that you should never challenge your husband. You should never question your husband on any decision that he makes or if he's got a sin pattern in his life, that you, should, you shouldn't confront that or call that out. That is not what Peter is saying here. In fact, husbands, I'm just gonna tell you right now, your wife really should be your primary source of counsel in life. If you're, if you're married, your wife should be your number one, your primary source of counsel in life. I, listen, 
I make very few decisions in life and zero significant decisions in our life, like our family's life or the direction of our family without consulting my wife. Why? Because she has insight that I don't have. She, she sees things clearly that I don't see clearly. She sees blind spots that I, that I can't see. She has strengths where I am weak. And the reality is I, I don't want my wife to be a doormat because the reality is I need her insight desperately. I need her wisdom. I need her ideas constantly. And so Peter is not saying here, ladies, you are to be a doormat in your marriage. What he is saying here is that it's more about your attitude and your disposition towards your husband than anything else. Now, now Cheryl is, uh, man, she's, she's, she's really gotten good at the art of pushback with an attitude of honor and respect, all right? And so um, I'll just give you an example. Friday is, is kind of our family day. And so we typically sleep in a little bit and we'll get up, we'll take our time, we'll cook a big, it's the one big breakfast that we do a week. So we'll get together, we'll cook a big family breakfast, uh, we'll enjoy our time together, and then usually most of the time we'll, we'll try to have our, our weekly kind of family uh, devotion after that where we just open the word and um, ask our kids questions, see, kind of dig around, root around, see what God's doing in their hearts, and we pray for one another and we pray for many of you in our, in our church family. Uh, we sing a couple of songs together, and it's a really sweet time that we have together as a family. But I'll be honest with you, there's, there's a lot of weeks after breakfast that I just forget. It's not that I'm trying to intentionally just be like a loser um, in terms of spiritual leadership stuff. A lot of times I just forget, man. I, I've got a little more sermon prep I gotta get done, and so that's kind of weighing on me, and I'm like, man, I just need to get this, get this finished, or maybe I got some emails uh, that, I, that I need to get answered. I wanna fire those off, and my wife is good to me in those moments, oftentimes to come to me and say something like, Babe, would you like to do family devotions now? I'm like, thank, yeah, yes, Th thank you for that. Now listen, my sweet wife could just as easily go, why are you such a loser as our spiritual leader? Like, do I need to spoon feed you like a child, you idiot? Do I have to remind you of this too? Why do you let us down constantly as the spiritual leader of our house? She doesn't do that. My wife has refined the art of pushback with an attitude of honor and submission, which let me just tell you, by the way, as a husband, that makes me want to lead better. That makes me want to serve her better. That makes me want to love her all, all the more. So ladies, ladies I'm, just, I'm just telling you, if you're, if you're constantly kind of putting down your husband, if you're demeaning your husband, if you're tearing him down in front of the kids, if you're second-guessing every decision that he tries to make, one of two things will happen to your husband. And a lot of you will resonate with this. You'll, you'll recognize your husband in one of these two categories. If you do that, your husband will either retreat emotionally, so he'll become distant and cold and just kind of build up a wall and he'll seem like he's constantly distant because he's retreated emotionally, or he'll lash out in anger. W one of those two responses. And so, wives, let me just say, your, your husband needs your insight. He needs your, your challenge. He needs pushback in, in his life. He needs all of that, but he needs it from a place of respect and love. Because let me let, me let you in on a little secret, wives. Your husband will never tell you this, but the reality is that deep down, there is nothing in this world your husband wants more than to impress you. He just, we all, we have this desire for our brides, our, 
our, our life partners to, to look at us with, with, with a sense of, of admiration. Like your, your husband wants you to think he's the man. And I promise you, you, you begin to honor him in this way that Peter is talking about. You begin, begin to love him. You begin to speak to him with this attitude of honor and respect. I promise you, he will begin to soar. Because this is the way that God has designed the marriage relationship to function. That's the way he's ordered it. This is the way it flows successfully. It just works. But this is not a call for women in the context of marriage to be doormats, right? And so now that we've kind of clarified what submission in the context of a Christian marriage for wives is not, let's talk about what it is. Let's talk about what it is and then we'll be done. So let's go back uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. So this is a reference to the gospel. He's saying, even if your husband is not a believer, if, he, if he's not a Christian, he says, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not believe the word, they may be one to the faith without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter now speaks to believing wives who are married to non-believing husbands, which back in this day in the first century would have actually been a very physically dangerous situation for the wives. As we've already talked about, there were very few laws to protect women in the Greco-Roman world in the first century. And so for a, wa a wife to walk into her home one day and say to her pagan husband, husband, I can no longer worship all of your pagan gods. I can't, I can't go to the temple with you anymore. I can't sacrifice with you anymore. I can't teach our kids about all these gods that, that you grew up worshiping. Actually, I can, I can only worship Jesus and Jesus alone now. This would have caused massive upheaval in marriages in that day, much like it causes a lot of tension in marriages today. In fact, I know there are probably a couple dozen of you who are tuned in, who are watching this right now, who are married to non-believing husbands. And listen, I know you bear the entire weight of spiritual things in the home, from getting your kids up and trying to disciple your kids and get them to church and all of those things. Man, that is, that is unimaginably difficult. And if that's you, I just, I just wanna say, I, I'm sorry. God, I, I know that has to be incredibly hard, but what, listen, what Peter is saying to you right now in this moment through this letter is there is hope. There is hope. And here, here's what gives you hope. Married women to non-believing husbands through an attitude of honor and respect and submission, it is possible for your husband to see and believe the gospel of Jesus through your life. And through the way that you respond to him and you interact with him and you love him, it's possible for him to see Jesus through you and be drawn to Christ himself. And so that leads us right into the very first thing that godly submission in marriage is. Number one, it is a powerful weapon for good. It is a powerful weapon for good. I mean, listen, I have lost count over the years how many stories I have heard of men, husbands, coming to faith in Jesus after watching their wives love Jesus well for years, perhaps even decades before the husband comes to faith. I love the story of Augustine, uh, one of the great church fathers in church history. Uh, his mother, Monica, was a devout Christian, and she was just 
She was a prayer warrior. She was saturated in the word. In fact, Augustine would tell the story that really his mom prayed him into the kingdom. I mean, he was, he was a wicked man. He was a rebellious man. But man, the, the prayers of his mother just sort of tracked him like a hound dog. And God finally got up a hold of his life. He submitted his life to Jesus. But uh, Monica, his mother, this, this saint of a woman, was married to a pagan man. His father, Patricius, was not a believer. He's a man who struggled with anger his entire life. He was not a pleasant man at all. But Augustine recounts in his book, Confessions, in his writing, how his mom led his dad to faith in Christ, specifically by following the command in 1 Peter 3.1. His dad, over the course of decades, was so compelled watching his wife love him and honor him and ultimately submit to Jesus by submitting to him that Patricius, Augustine's father, came to faith in Jesus because of the testimony of his wife's life before he died. So let me just say, ladies, if you're, if you're married to a non-Christian dude, yes, open your mouth, share the gospel with him, but let, let me just encourage you, uh, don't, don't nag. I think that's what Peter is saying here. So, sometimes actions are more powerful than words. So, so yes, speak the gospel. Tell him why you live the way that you live. Tell him why you honor him the way that you honor him, even when he doesn't deserve it. But that, at the end of the day, don't, don't, don't nag. L live your life in a way that paints the gospel in front of your unbelieving husband. And that's what Peter is saying here. Show him the gospel. Show your husband the gospel by how you honor him and how you submit to his leadership. You say, Chris, man, you, you don't understand. You don't, like, you don't, you don't know my husband. My, my husband is a complete moron. He doesn't deserve my respect and my honor and my submission. And you're right. He most definitely doesn't deserve it. But understand that you are not submitting in an ultimate sense to him. In an ultimate sense, you're submitting to Jesus, who, by the way, submitted himself to the point of death on a cross for you and me. He's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. As we said a couple of weeks ago, God himself has modeled this idea of submission within the very character and DNA, the essence of who he is, right? We call this the doctrine of the Trinity, right? God, three in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all God, all equal, and yet we see the Son over and over again in the Gospels submitting himself to the will of the Father, and then later in Acts, we see, we see the Son sending the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit submits his will to the Son. God has modeled this idea and this concept of submission within his very essence. And so ladies who are married to non-Christians, Peter is saying here, listen, there is hope. There is hope. Your godly, submissive, honoring attitude might just be what leads your husband to faith in Christ one day. Your willing submission, again, this idea of strength under control, is a powerful weapon for good because this type of submission paints a compelling picture of the gospel to the world around us. Now, side note, let me, let me just say, uh, and, I, and I think this is important for me to say, P Peter is not saying, wives, you should submit to violent or abusive behavior from your husband. Let me say this clearly. God is not saying, Peter is, is not saying here that godly submission is staying in a situation where you place yourself in harm's way. That, that is a wicked, evil idea. And if you've ever heard a pastor preach that, 
shame on him. That is, that is not what the scriptures say at all. Listen, if, you, if you're watching this right now and you, you are being physically abused in marriage, if you're being sexually abused in marriage, let me just tell you right now, you should contact authorities. If you're a part of our faith family here at New Life, you should let us know. You should reach out to the elders and the pastors and we're gonna do everything we can to remove you from that situation and get you somewhere that is safe. So please do not, do not hear me saying that God is calling you as a Christian wife to, to live in a submissive sort of attitude in an abusive home. That, that is not what I'm saying. That is not what God desires for you. That is not what Peter is saying here. So I just wanna make that very, very clear. If you're being abused, that your, your call is to seek help, that, to get out of that. Come to us, let us help you, contact the authorities. But I don't want you to, anybody really to be confused that Peter might be saying that. He's simply saying living your life in an honoring way, this idea of strength and submission, this might be what actually wins your husband to faith in the Lord. And by the way, ladies, just so you know, this also works on your Christian husband as well. I promise you, you, you honor him, you, you let him lead, you support him, you follow his leadership, I promise you, he will begin to soar he will begin to serve you. He will begin to love you in ways that you maybe didn't even think pot were possible for your husband. I'm just telling you, God's design actually works. I, I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton in his book, What's Wrong With The World. He says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And isn't that so true in so many areas of our life, especially in the area of of godly marriage. All right, here's the second thing that submission, godly submission is in the context of marriage. Look at verse three. Peter says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. In Peter's day, not unlike our day, women tended to elevate their status in society. Women oftentimes actually found their value in society based on their outer beauty, on how many heads they would turn when they walked down the road. Not a lot has changed in the last 2,000 years. Now listen, this, Peter, <laughs> Peter is not saying, do not hear Peter say, ladies, that you shouldn't be fashionable or that it's a sin to wear jewelry or to go and get your, get your hair done or get your nails done. He, Peter's not saying that it's wrong to do any of those things. He's simply saying that the type of beauty that is precious to God is an inner beauty. It's an inner beauty. So second thing that godly submission is is that it's a, it's a true inner beauty and it produces this true inner beauty. Now guys, you... You probably know what I'm talking about here. We've all seen women who are physically beautiful, right? Maybe you remember uh, when you were young, before you were married, or maybe you're young right now and you're not yet married. You see this woman, she's beautiful, and you just think, man, I would love to date her. Or, man, I would, I would love to marry her. And then you kind of start talking to them, and they open their mouths, and you hear their hearts come out, right? And it's just vile and self-centered and 
angry, and they just got kind of a chip on their shoulder, and they're just kind of a contentious person. And at that point, it doesn't matter how beautiful they are on the outside, they begin to lose all of their beauty. Man, you, can, you just can't even look at them the same. And in the same way, some of the most beautiful women that I know are older women. And maybe, maybe some of their physical beauty has begun to fade, man, but their, their hearts, their, their words, their, their attitude, their disposition just radiates beauty because they have beautiful souls. And that's what Peter is saying here. Ladies, focus, focus more on cultivating a beautiful heart, a beautiful soul than a beautiful outward appearance. Then Peter uses this, this phrase that triggers, has triggers a lot of people. He talks about a woman that uh, is pleasing to God, having a gentle and quiet spirit. And I think a lot of people kind of read that and revolt, man, like, man, what, is that? what does that even mean? I'm a woman and I have an outgoing personality and I'm boisterous and I like to be funny. Does that mean that I can't be godly? And that's not the case at all. In fact, that word gentle in the original Greek means meek. Not weak, but meek. Again, it's this idea of strength under control. And when he uses the word quiet there, quiet spirit, it doesn't mean that's somebody that never speaks up. It doesn't mean that it's a wife that can't have a, a louder, funny personality. This is actually the idea, if you look in the original language, of undisturbed tranquility. So picture like a placid lake. This idea of peace and calmness. This idea that a godly woman just brings a sense of peace to the home. Like she sets the pace in the middle of a, the chaos and the storms of life. She brings stability to her family because she knows that her beauty and her security is found in the inner heart, which God sees as beautiful and precious. And Peter finishes up this section, beginning in verse five, he says this, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Peter finishes this section up with a fascinating example. He goes, he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 18, the story of Sarah and Abraham. And if you remember anything about this story, they're both super old at this point in time. I think Abraham's like 99 and Sarah's like 90 years old. And God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, this time next year, you guys are, are gonna have a son. I'm gonna do this miracle. I'm gonna give you this son, even though you guys are, are super old. And through this son, eventually is gonna come another son through whom all nations are gonna be blessed. And so, so God is basically like laying out his rescue plan for humanity. He's laying out the gospel to Abraham. And, and to be fair, it's an outlandish plan. Again, he's 99. She, she's 90. And Sarah hears this plan and she literally laughs. She just like kind of chuckles because it seems so ridiculous. And yet, even though this plan seemed crazy to her, she responds to Abraham with honor and submission and humility and even calls him Lord. Now, side note, Guys, if you get in the car, or turn to your wife later today and say, did you hear the pastor? Please call me Lord. Um, from now on, this is actually very biblical. I, I, please, please don't do that. I mean, I'll be doing your funeral this time next week, and I'll probably high-five your wife if you do that. Don't, this is not what Peter is saying here. In fact, this, this, uh, this word Lord in the culture back in the Old Testament time was, was really just a term of respect. It'd be much like we use the word sir today or something like that. So the idea here is that even when it was hard, even when the idea seemed crazy, Sarah still followed Abraham's lead. 
What Peter is getting at here is that, listen, ladies, there are going to be times when following your husband's lead is going to be really hard. It's, it's not going to be easy. You're like, Chris, it's never easy. It's always hard. You don't know the man. And so what Peter's saying is, listen, when it doesn't, when it doesn't make a lot of sense, but if your husband is feel, feels like, man, he's, he's heard from the Lord, well, maybe that's a, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that's a risky career move. Maybe that's um, forfeiting a week of vacation to take a mission trip this year, whatever it is. But there are gonna be times in marriage where your husband feels like he's heard from the Lord. It's not gonna make a lot of sense. And even in those moments, let me just say, man, there should be lots of discussion. There should be lots of pushback. There should be lots of open dialogue. There should be lots of prayer. And just side notes to husband, submission from your wife is a gift that she gives to you as she honors the Lord. It's never something that should be demanded by you. I made that mistake early on in marriage and I kind of pulled the whole Bible verse card. Like, hey, woman, this is what the Bible says. Look at First Peter. I'm, it, listen, it's not gonna go well for you. It didn't go well for me. I learned the hard way. Don't learn the hard way. It's a gift to be given by your wife. It's enough, never anything to be demanded. But there are gonna be those times, probably if you're married for a long time, where he feels like the Lord is leading your family somewhere to do something, to sacrifice something, and it's not gonna make a whole lot of sense. And after a lot of prayer and discussion, there are gonna be times where you're just not on the same page. And in those moments, you just say, listen, I, I trust your leadership. I don't, I don't really understand this. I don't, I don't really get this, but because I trust Jesus, I'm submitting to him, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust your leadership on this. Now for, for my wife, Cheryl, she's, she's always really kind of loved this part of the deal because um, when we get to that place, which is incredibly rare, in fact, her, we were talking this week, just trying to remember if there's ever been an instance where we disagreed on something really major for our, our family, and she just had to kind of follow my lead and blindly trust me, and uh, neither one of us could, could think of a time. But there, there may come a time um, where she has to say that, and the reality is she's always been totally okay with that because her, in her mind, it's kind of like, hey, listen, if you screw this up, God's coming for you, right? I've read Genesis 1 through 3. I know Eve ate the fruit first. And I know when God came to the garden, he wasn't looking for Eve. He was looking for Adam. So if you screw this up, he's coming for you. So I'm good with this. So Peter just kind of points out that, that to wives, and he's saying, look, look at Sarah. Look at Sarah as, as a godly example who modeled this idea of strength and submission in the context of marriage. And then he finishes up the last part of verse 6. And he's talking, to, again, to these married, believing women, many of whom are, who are married to non-believing husbands, and he says, and you, you ladies, are her children, Sarah's children. If you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, this is fascinating to me. Abraham and Sarah uh, did have a son named Isaac. Isaac would go on to have a son named Jacob. Jacob would go on to have a son named Judah. And through the line of Judah, eventually came a guy you may have heard of. His name was Jesus. So this verse is, is really uh, kind of hard to understand. Even scholars kind of disagree about what it means. But I, what I think Peter's driving at here is that ladies, a defining mark of being a daughter of Sarah and ultimately a daughter of her greater son, Jesus, a mark of the daughters of Jesus is that they demonstrate the beauty and the strength of submission in marriage. So that's the last thing. Godly submission is, number three, a mark of the daughters of God. It's one of the things that should absolutely mark and define married women 
who follow Jesus and love Jesus. Now, in closing, let me, let me just say, I, I know this is, this is hard. <laughs> this is really hard. And so, ladies, I would say, man, if you're, if you're angry, uh, like I said earlier, c- come back. Next week, I'm going to attack the guys really, really hard. But, but listen, I, I know the reality is this isn't easy. It flies absolutely in the face of modern sensibilities. It flies in the face of everything that our culture teaches us about gender and marriage and roles. This is completely countercultural, and yet, I would argue, absolutely critical. And know this, know this Weiss. When you, when you submit to your husband, the sermon that you're preaching with your life isn't how great and how worthy your husband is. Because there's a really good chance that he's not that great, and he's definitely not worthy. But when you choose to do that, the sermon that you preach with your life, when you choose strength and submission in your marriage is how great and glorious Jesus is. Because Jesus walked the path of submission perfectly. Jesus submitted himself to the will of his Father perfectly over and over again every single time. And he submitted himself even to the point of death on the cross to redeem you and call you daughter. So understand as you wrestle through the challenges of what this means contextually for you in your marriage, understand Jesus went first. He's walked the path of submission perfectly. And so when you choose to follow in his footsteps and walk the path of submission that he's laid out for you, the strength of your submission ultimately points your husband and the world around you to Jesus. You do this primarily for him, not your husband. And also, let me, let me just say, I, I know that apart from Jesus, apart from the gospel, none of this makes sense. Like, you, it would be stupid. If you, if you don't love Jesus, if you don't understand the gospel, it would make zero sense to look at this and be like, yeah, I'm in. I, I want to I do this. But the reality is when we, when we look at the gospel, the fact that Jesus came into this busted up earth to, to live the perfect life, that you and I should have lived, but we couldn't, and he submitted himself even to death on the cross to pay for our rebellion and pay for our sin and redeem us. If we look at it and through that lens, through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the gospel, it begins to make perfect sense. So let me just say, man, if you're, if you're watching this, if you're tuned in and you, you've never really begun that spiritual journey with Jesus who calls us into this crazy upside-down kingdom where Everything seems upside down and you win by losing and you lay down your life and you lead by serving and all these, it's the upside down kingdom. If you've never started your journey with Jesus, I just want you to know that we'd love to talk with you about that. And so let me just encourage you to reach out. Let us know. You can email us. There are chat hosts on all of the platforms this morning. We'd love to talk to you about what it would mean for you to begin that relationship and follow Jesus. Let's pray, then we'll sing. Father, thank you, for, thank you for loving us enough to call us back into your design, even when it just seems kind of crazy, even when it runs against everything that our culture is shouting to us. Thank you for giving us a design that is ultimately for our good and is for your glory. And Father, thank you that even when it's hard, through the indwelling power of your spirit, you give us the strength to walk this beautiful path of obedience 
and submission, God. And that's something that applies to all of us. You call us to live in this constant state of surrender to you, the earthly authorities that you place into our lives, God. And it's not because you hate us. It's because you love us. And you've created a design that actually will allow us to flourish in life, God. So thank you for that. Thank you for modeling sacrifice and strength through submission perfectly for us in the life, death, resurrection of your son, Jesus. God, please help us to embrace your ways, to live in your kingdom for our good and for your glory. And we ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus.